Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good evening, Summit Church. It's great to see you all tonight. I'm so glad you're here this evening. Have you guys had a nice week so far? Good. Good. It's great to see you all. I also want to welcome all of you that are watching online, no matter where you may be or how you're joining us tonight. Thanks for making the Summit a part of your day. I pray that God blesses you as you worship with us. It is great to have you, and uh, we so appreciate you allowing us to be with you this evening. It is going to be a wonderful night tonight, and, um, you know, the guest we have with us tonight for our second Wednesday is, uh, he is not really, I mean, he is a guest, but he's not, uh, he's not a, uh, yeah, you're not a stranger. Uh, He really is more like family. Um, He has probably spoken here more than anybody uh, anybody else has except for me and maybe Kim. Um, so he's been a part of this church uh, since we came. I think you were my very first guest speaker, as a matter of fact, back in uh, July of 2014. And uh, so we're glad to have you back, man. But Kyle Hammond is a great friend. He leads Adventure Church in Columbus, Ohio. Um, he started that church back in September of 2013, and since then it has grown like crazy. Um, on a normal weekend, they have over 600 people in attendance. They've seen hundreds of people saved at their church, and they are making a huge impact in their community. And, uh, and I'm grateful. We've, we've got to be, we've, as a church, we've invested a little bit into your ministry, and so it's fun to see um, our giving and our generosity paying dividends and making an impact not just here in Indiana but around the world. And, uh, and so we're grateful for Kyle. So he's going to bring the word to us tonight. I want you to lean in. I want you to be ready to take some notes. And uh, if you would, please do me a, a favor and give Pastor Kyle Hammond a warm Summit Church welcome. Love you. Appreciate it. Well, good evening. You doing good? Did you are in church on a Wednesday night at 7.30. Come on, right? You're here. You made it. I got the award for longest drive, though, so I drove four hours in today to to come and hang out with you guys tonight and then get to hang with uh, Pastor Mel and the team and some others tomorrow morning as well, but so glad to be here with you. Um, I know every guest speaker, when they come, they always show some love to the pastor But it's very genuine for us. Uh, My wife and I love Pastor Mel and Kim. They are such good friends to us, uh, not just uh, in ministry, but in life. And uh, man, we love them. And I just want you to know you guys are blessed with the pastors you have. So can you show some love and honor to Pastor Mel and Kim? But tonight, uh, before I I get in, I just felt like the Lord whispered something to me in service or in worship for someone. Uh, We were singing that song that God can do it again, and I think for someone here tonight that you have to, God's telling you that you need to look back so that you can move forward, okay? You need to look back and and to remember what God did in a certain situation, a certain time of your life, uh, because he was faithful then, and he'll be faithful again. And so if he was faithful in your marriage 10 years ago, he'll be faithful in it today. If he was faithful in your finances before, he'll be faithful again. If he was faithful to heal in the past, he's faithful to heal today. If he was faithful to set people free in the past, he's faithful to set you free today. And so I want to remind you, as we sang and really was the theme of worship, that God is faithful 
and he loves you and he's for you. He's not against you. He hasn't forgotten you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what he's doing. He spoke this world into existence. I think he can handle our lives, amen? So put your faith and trust in him today. Well, tonight I've entitled this message, All In, and what it means to go all in for Jesus. And uh, I don't know, does anybody here know what Ikea is, the furniture store Ikea? Do they have it in Pittsburgh, maybe? Uh, I, I know it's not here in, Indi- in the thriving metropolis of Indiana, Pennsylvania. Uh, but we, they just built an Ikea in Columbus, and so it's like, you know, the cool thing to do is to go to Ikea. But if you've never been to this store, it is, one, it's massive, you know, a couple hundred thousand square feet of space, two levels, and they literally like have projecting lights from the ceiling that have arrows that tell you where to go because it's once you get in it's different like floor sets of furniture and it's it's a maze right and we had the great idea that hey we should go there and take the kids and it'll be fun you know and and I don't know why we we thought that uh but whatever it was, I could not, like the kids started getting upset. I have five and seven-year-old, they were upset. And, and we could not find our way out. I couldn't find my way out. I'm, I'm like backtracking, you know, I'm, I'm a man, so I'm good with directions. I was like, I know the direction we need to go. I know the direction we came. And we literally were doing, doing circles. My son was like, Dad, we've already seen this couch before. Why are we back here? And finally, I found a worker, and I said, how do we get out of here? And he said, do you see those skylights way over there? I said, yes. He said, get to those skylights, and it will get you out. And so thankfully, we made our way out. But have you ever gotten yourself into a situation where you kind of look back and you go, what was I getting myself into? What was I thinking, right? And a lot of times in life, we, we rush into decisions without really thinking about what we're getting ourselves into. And it really should be no different when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to going all in. In fact, Jesus tells us that we should think about what we're getting ourselves into. But tonight I want to tell you, if you don't know, now you do, that God is an all or nothing kind of God. He really is. When you look at scripture and what he calls his followers and, and, and the level that he calls his disciples to live at, he's an all or nothing kind of God. In fact, in Revelation 3, 15 through 16, it says this. It says, I know all the things that you do. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I don't know about you, when I read that, even today, for me, I get convicted. Am I really all in? Am I, am I kind of, you know, just kind of going through life lukewarm and, and my commitment to Christ and still holding on to things of this world? Am I really all in in my pursuit of Jesus and his calling on my life? Jesus refers to us as the bride of Christ, that he desires relationship. And I don't know about you, when I got married, I didn't tell my wife, hey, you know, some days I'll be all in, some days I won't. Is that okay with you? Are you okay to commit to me in relationship knowing that some days I'll be all in and some days I'll be all out, right? No one would enter into a relationship, a committed relationship with someone who was wishy-washy, halfway in, halfway out. No one would ever do that. And it's interesting that Jesus calls us, his church, the bride of Christ that we are his bride, that we've entered into relationship with him, and he doesn't want us to be halfway in and halfway out. He wants us to experience the fullness of the relationship that he offers, but in order to do that, we gotta go all in. Look at your neighbor and say, all in. You see, salvation 
is the starting point for us. Sometimes we think salvation is almost like the end. Like, man, I got saved. Kyle, I'm going to church. I'm in church on a Wednesday night. Come on, you know. That's some extra credit in heaven, right? This is extra credit. I did the homework on Sunday. This is extra credit, you know, and this only happens once a month, and I'm here, right? And I get that, that, that we have this starting point, but salvation is simply just the beginning of our process and the relationship that we have. It's a moment where we, where we surrender to Jesus, but then there's also this thing called sanctification. So there's salvation, and then there's sanctification, and sanctification is the process between salvation and heaven. It's what happens in the in-between, how we develop what we do, and this process of sanctification requires your participation. There's a lot of rhyming words in there. I'm hoping you'll remember them. But the process, the sanctification process requires our participation. And so as you pursue Jesus, and sanctification isn't perfection, it's the process, it's progress as you grow to be more like Christ, as you pursue him in relationship. And tonight I'm here to tell you that you have a part to play in the process of your growth. You see, God's top priority while you're here on this earth is to shape you into the image of his son. But he doesn't do all of it for us. We have a responsibility to cooperate with him and to collaborate and to actively participate in the process. It's not passive. There's an action. It's a very active thing. And thankfully tonight, God isn't demanding perfection from anyone. How many of you are thankful for that, right? He doesn't demand perfection. But he does demand progress. He requires progress. He wants to see us growing. You see, there's a gap that, that, that there will always be between where you are and where you want to be, hopefully, right? You never arrive until you die. And, and that gap, what, co- what covers the gap, what fills the gap, what is the bridge that, that covers us into where we are and where we want to be. How many of you would say, I want to be a little bit closer to Jesus than I am? We all should be there. That The gap is grace, right? Grace covers the gap. It's his grace, it's his mercy that enables us to pursue him, but I'm here to tell you tonight, no matter how long you've been in church, no matter how long you've been serving Jesus, you never arrive until you die. That's when the sanctification process ends is when you get to heaven. And in the meantime, God is concerned and he's interested in continuing to develop a relationship with you and this process of growing more in your relationship with him. In Luke 14, Jesus begins to tell us about what it means to really live all in for him, what this process of pursuit should look like. In Luke 14, 25 through 28, and then verse 33, it says this. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. And look, Jesus isn't saying, right, to actually hate someone because he says that's a sin to hate someone. He says, by comparison, that, that there should be such a distinguished difference between your love for me and your love for the most important people in your life. You think about that, how much I love my wife, how much I love my children. Jesus said there's got to be a difference between them and me. Your love for me should be so great that it doesn't even come close to comparing to those we love most in this world. This is what Jesus is calling us to. He says otherwise, listen to this, these aren't my words, these are Jesus's. He says, and if there's, if, if there's a comparison, if, if it's close, he says, otherwise you can't be mine. You can't really follow me. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. 
And then he says this in verse 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. And then he goes on in, in the story and he says, you know, you would never go and build a house without first getting a budget together and understanding what it was going to cost you to, to enter into this thing. You'd never go to war without consulting with your advisors. He says, no one makes any big decision without first counting the cost, right? It's common sense. So he says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. So Jesus is up front with his disciples, with his followers. The crowds are growing in his ministry. The paparazzi is there because Jesus is healing people. And he says, at the very beginning, he says, he looked at the crowd of people and he gave them this speech right here. And he says, listen, this is what it really means to follow me. This is what it really means to be all in for me. And so he says, this is what it's going to cost you. And then at the very end, he says, so count the cost. Count it up. Are you in? Or are you out? Count the costs. You see, the problem is, though, is that God's calling to us is counterculture. It's cultural. It's not natural. It's going to cost you. If you haven't noticed, the biblical values don't really line up with our world's values. They stand in opposition to each other. And this idea of salvation that we're talking about, really, when it comes down to it, is total surrender. And when you give your life to Jesus, what you are saying is, is you say, Jesus, I give you permission to get all up in my kitchen, to get all up in my business, right? He's going to change everything about your life. He's going to change your friends. He may change your career. He may change your habits, what you do on the weekend, what you say, how you talk, how you live, how you perceive the world, how you perceive your life, how you perceive your value, how you perceive the kingdom of God, how you perceive your bank account. He says it all changes. You better count the cost. Are you all in? Are you all in? You see, Jesus isn't asking for permission to get up in your business. He's saying, that's just what I'm going to do. I'm going to change everything. And he calls us to obedience. I think about my kids, right? I never ask my kids for permission to tell them what to do. I've never once said, hey, listen, son, I'm going to ask, is it okay if I discipline you right now? Is it okay if I bring some correction to your life? Is it okay if I intervene in this fight between you and your sister, right? I never ask for permission to tell my kids what to do. And God isn't asking for your permission tonight. He's not asking for permission to change things. He's saying, I'm going to change things. In fact, I'm going to change everything if you want to be my follower. Count the cost. It's up to you. You want to follow me or you don't? Don't worry, I'm going to get to the good part. It's like, man, it's depressing. No, I don't want to follow him. He doesn't ask for permission. You see, in our culture, there's this thing, and I would say it's in the church. It's prevalent in the church now. And there was a book written uh, by a guy named Craig Rochelle who pastors a church in Oklahoma City. And the book was called Christian Atheist. It's an oxymoron, right? A Christian atheist, but it's people who believe in God but live as though he doesn't exist. And what it means is is that I believe, but my belief isn't strong enough to affect my behavior. But if you really believe something, it changes the way you behave, right? If you believe that doing something is going to be destructive to you, you will stop doing it, right? If you believe that if you step out in the middle of 422, that a car could run you over and end your life, you are not going to get into the road, right? You believe that, right? So belief... If you really believe it, it changes your behavior. 
See, I think we can live on different levels as Christians, that, that I, I meet people who I would call convenient Christians, that they only show up when it's convenient. And obviously, you're here on a Wednesday night, so we know you're not there, right? It's just convenient. As long as it's convenient, I would say these are like fair weather fans. If it's convenient, if it's my schedule, if the kids don't have this, if they don't have that, if it doesn't, you know, cost me my reputation, if it doesn't, you know, cause confrontation in a relationship, I'll stand for God. I'll do that as long as it's convenient to me. Then we have benefit, what I call benefit believers, and this is, I believe in the gospel enough to, to benefit from it. I would call this like, you know, fire insurance. Like, I believe in Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. I just want to get into heaven, you know? I just want to get in. As long as I get in, I'm good, right? As long as I get in, right? But then there's this all-in committed believer who says, man, I'm all in. I'm going to give my life to the Lord. I'm going to surrender all that I am. You see, when Jesus says, follow me, you think about this, he's telling you to change the direction you're going. If you're going to follow Jesus forward, you're going to have to leave something behind. You're going to have to leave some stuff behind. You're going to have to walk away from some stuff. Jesus, throughout scripture, calls different people to follow him, and we're going to look at their stories tonight. Many examples. I'm going to focus on three of them today, and from these three stories, we're going to learn of what it really means to go all in to follow Jesus, what it's going to require from us to live all in. The first thing is this. If you're going to go all in, you're going to follow after Jesus, you've got to be willing to lay it down. Look at your neighbor and say, lay it down. Lay it down. You go, well, lay what down? I would say this, your plans, maybe your career, maybe your dream, the desires of your heart. You lay it down. In Matthew 4, 18 through 22, it says, one day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, immediately, and followed after him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee. He's repairing the nets. He called to them, come to. They immediately followed him, leaving, look at that, leaving the boat and their father behind. They had to lay it down. These men laid their career down. Now imagine today Jesus walking into your workplace. Come on, think about that. You don't really know him yet. These men didn't really know who Jesus was at this point, but he was a great vision caster and had great conviction because immediately, you imagine you're at work and the guy comes in and says, hey, you, come follow me. And you go, okay, yeah, let's do it, right? Immediately, right? Radical obedience where these guys just went all in to follow Jesus. Growing up, my mom worked for Ohio State. She retired from the university a few years ago, and that was always the plan for me, was to go to Ohio State. And when I was 16 years old, I was at summer camp and plugged for the youth ministry. Man, if you have a middle school or high school student, make sure they're at camp this summer. It will change their life. I was called to ministry, filled with the Holy Spirit, really empowered at camps where I got alone and got away from everything and really focused on God. And I was having one of those experiences where I felt called to ministry. I knew God was calling me. Man, it was a prophetic word was given over me. It was like there was no escaping that God was calling me and I didn't my best friend at the time was my pastor's son I was like I don't want that life I know what ministry's like I know the behind the scenes it's all glamorous up on the stage but I know the behind the scenes of ministry I don't want that and so I kind of ran from that 
And I started out at Ohio State, and, and I just knew that, that it wasn't what God wanted for me. And, and through a connection from some friends, I had some friends that were going to college at this school called Southwestern University in Waxahachie, Texas. I was in, living in Columbus, Ohio. And this connection was made, and I really sensed that God was calling me to go there. You need to go there. This is the school I want you to go to. And the first day that I ever visited, showed up, ever stepped foot in Texas was the day I moved there to start class. And I left a university with 50,000 students and went to a college that was smaller, half the size of the high school that I graduated from. And I remember the culture shock, and I remember getting there going, what was I doing? But for me at the time, what God was speaking to me, and I'm going to share a little bit more of that story in a second, what God was speaking to me is that I had to be willing to lay it all down. If I was really going to follow him, if I was really going to go all in, I had to be willing to lay it down. What I thought was best for my life. You see, Ohio State was the easy route for me. My mom worked there. My tuition was half price. I could live at home. I literally would never have to take out a loan. I could work a part-time job and pay for my whole college education. It was the easy thing to do. It was the easy route for me. It was what God, you know, what I thought was going to be best for me, but I knew immediately it wasn't where to be, and I had to be willing to lay it down. I remember getting on campus. I remember walking around, and I can remember, you know, going to my dorm room, and it wasn't, I don't even know how they called it a dorm room. It was more like a prison cell. Davis Hall. Mel would know exactly where it's at. He graduated from the same college as me, and, and it was like literally... The, the dorm that was there before had burnt down and they built this as temporary housing and it became permanent housing, right? It was literally like a hall of, of cells with cinder block walls, 10 by 10 cinder block walls with one window in them and a community bathroom. And I remember walking into that place going, what am I doing here? And it was hard. I missed home. I missed my family. I missed my friends. And I can remember that moment of just how hard it was. But let me tell you, it was the hardest thing I ever did, but it was the best thing I ever did. I had to be willing to lay it down. My dream of where I was going to go to college, my dream of what I thought my career should be, and I had to surrender it all to follow after Jesus. Hardest thing I ever did, the best thing I ever did. Some of you, you may need to be willing to lay down some stuff in your life. You're holding on to old dreams that God doesn't want for you anymore. You're holding on to a career maybe that God doesn't have for you anymore. Some of you have been sensing the call to ministry, the call to give to, to, to go work for a nonprofit, and, and it's a big step of faith, and, and God's telling you, man, go all in, be willing to lay it down. The second thing we gotta be willing to do is leave them behind. To go all in, you gotta lay it down, and for some of us, we gotta be willing to leave them behind. Who are them? Those who are not willing to go with you. In Luke 9, 57 through 62, it says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, well intended. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to even lay his head. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but said, Lord, first let me return home to bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. This is Jesus talking here, right? The level that he's calling these men to go all in, saying, look, you got to be willing to leave them behind. Those you love, those you don't. And, and look, Jesus, 
you know, he's not saying in, in this day, you know, the guy was saying, I need to go bury my father. And a lot of times that meant my fa- father's ailing and I can't leave. And maybe he was making excuses like we do of not being willing. And Jesus could see through it. And he said, listen, you're just giving me excuses. And I'm tired of excuses. I want you to go all in to follow me. Don't avoid what it's going to cost. And that's where I was. You see, before I went to Sagu, before I left to go to Texas, I was going to Ohio State. And... Um, I was my first weekend on campus. I'll never forget it. I got my student ticket to the football game. If you've never been to Ohio Stadium, it's 100,000 plus people. It's one of the largest stadiums. I had my student ticket. I, was, I got tickets with my friends. We're sitting. We go to the game. And listen, when I was in high school, I was a Christian, but I was a convenient Christian. I was just, when it was convenient, when it fit my schedule, I was good. But I was still hanging with some friends from, from high school that weren't, that had gone to Ohio State too, and we went on campus. I was never a big partier. I was never a big drinker in, in high school. You know, I never was really into that scene. But here I was on campus. It was Ohio State, uh, the first football game. And I went out with my friends on campus afterwards, and, and we were in an area where there was apartments, and I showed up at this house, and uh, someone handed me a cup of beer. It was a keg party. And uh, again, I wasn't a big drinker or anything, but I took the cup of beer and we literally, uh, my parents still don't believe in this day. I'd never even took a sip of the beer. They still don't believe me. Like, well, whatever. I was like, I didn't take a drink of it. I walked out of the apartment and was walking around the apartment complex to meet up some other friends, and the police were there. And that weekend, they were doing, it was the first weekend, the first home football game. They were doing a, they were arresting as many college kids as they could. It was a big kind of political raid thing. I don't even know. But they arrested 250 college students for underage drinking. And I was with a group of friends, and and some of my friends who had been in similar environments before ran as soon as they saw the police. I was like a deer in headlights, and I dropped my cup like that. And before I could get any step away, the guy grabbed, the police officer grabbed my arm, grabbed my friend's arm, and handcuffed us together and threw us in the back of a police van, paddy wagon. And I'm sitting in the back of this van, knee to knee with my friend, handcuffed like this. And I'll never forget in that moment what God said to me. It was this almost like the one time that I thought it was an audible voice, but it wasn't because my friend didn't hear it. But God whispered to me, he said, if you keep tying yourself to people like this, this is where you're going to end up. This is where you're going to stay. I've called you. I have a call in your life. It's time for you to leave them behind. And at that moment, I sat in that van, and I committed to God. I said, God, I'm done. I'll go all in. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And it wasn't one of those get me out of this situation prayers. It was, it was, it was sincere. God, I don't want to end up here. God, I don't want to go down this road. I want to follow you. I want what's best for my life. I want what you want for my life. And I cut my ties. I sold my football tickets. I never went back to campus again. I finished. I went to class and I went home. I never went out. I never hung out with my friends. I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily for some people, but it wasn't what God wanted for me. And at that moment, I began to prepare to go all in to leave for Sagu, to go to college in Texas, to pursue the calling that God had for me. And it was challenging, it was difficult. But I'm telling you, if someone or something comes in the way of your pursuit of Jesus and his plan for your life, leave them behind. Leave them behind. You have to. Listen, if you're married, that's a whole nother level, okay? I'm not saying you, you made a commitment, there's, there's scripture and stuff like that. You can't just bail out of your marriage, bail out of the, some commitments. But I'm just telling you, some of you are tying yourself to people, tying yourself to things that are keeping you from pursuing Jesus. Jesus said you got to be willing to leave it all 
behind to follow me. So you gotta be willing to lay it down. You gotta be willing to leave them behind. The last thing is this, you gotta be willing to give it up. You gotta be willing to give it up. Your time, your talent, your treasure, you surrender it all to Jesus. In Matthew, I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, it says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. You must honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Don't, don't miss that statement. Jesus felt genuine love for him. He said, there's still one thing you haven't done. He said, go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. According to Jesus, throughout scripture, Jesus spent two-thirds of his ministry, think about this, he had three years of ministry, that was it, before he, went to, before he was, died and was resurrected. When he announced that he was the son of God, he had three years of ministry. He spent two-thirds of his time talking about money and possessions. Did you think he knew how much it would compete for our heart? Do you think he knew how much it would compete for our loyalty? That, it's, that this world would tell you to go all in for your kingdom? To go all in to build your bank account? To get yours? To have it your way? Right? Do you think he knew that, that he spent so much time talking about that the number one competitor for your heart would be your money? And this young man, listen to what he said. This, let's just say it to this. Jesus, what do I got to do to go to heaven? Go to church. Start serving. Go to small group. Do this. You go, huh, I'm in. Jesus, I've been doing all that, man. I go to Summit. I go on the first, second Wednesday worship. Man, I'm in a small group. I serve in kids. Jesus, I serve in kids. I'm, in, you know, I'm doing all this stuff, and for some of you tonight, Jesus is going, yeah, but there's still one more thing. There's one more thing you're holding on to. There's one more thing you haven't given me. Your possessions. Your stuff. And it's stealing your heart from me. And as I started at the very beginning, my number one relationship, my number one desire is to be in relationship. You're my bride. And you're competing. This is competing with you and me. Jesus went on in Matthew 6, 24. He says, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You'll be, or you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. We cannot serve two masters. To go all in, listen, it means you gotta be willing to give it up. You can't serve God and money. And some of you, you've been holding back and there's this spirit. Money in this context means mammon. Mammon is the spirit of the world. It's false worship, a false object of worship or devotion. Mammon promises us only what God can give us, security, significance, identity, independence, power, and freedom. You see, it's not the actual dollar amount that is so hard for us to give up. It's this. It's what mammon promises, but what only God can give. Money is your security. 
It's my security, God. It's my retirement. This is my life. This is what I've worked for. This is my security. It's my significance. It's where I find my identity and what I can gain. It's my power. It's what gives me the freedom I want. You see, mammon tells us that it can insulate us from life's problems and that money is the answer to every situation. But as we know, only God is the answer. Your money can be gone in a second. It can vanish. It can disappear. Ask people of the Great Depression when the the stock market crashed. These men were healthy men jumping out of buildings, not because they were afraid for their life, not because they had a disease, because they lost all their money, and when they lost their money, they lost their hope. And Jesus is saying, you gotta be willing to go all in. Mammon says the system of the world is the system of the world that Jesus calls us to walk away from. You see, Mammon says buy and sell. God says sow and reap. Mammon says cheat and steal. God says give and then you'll receive. We can't serve both God and Mammon because Mammon is the exact opposite of God. The spirit of Mammon tries to influence us to make us think it's the answer to our problems. Don't misunderstand Jesus. He's not saying that money is evil and to hate money. He's saying that if we love God and we go all in, we will hate Mammon. The greedy, selfish, lying, deceiving spirit of the world that operates through the worship of money. He says we will love one and hate the other. Loyal to one, despise the other. This is a constant fight that you will have in this world that we live in. Because our world is greedy. The culture that we're in is going to be that way. There's going to be this constant tension between greed and generosity. And the only way to kill greed is with generosity. It's the only way you can get rid of it. The only way you can break that spirit, the only way that you can get rid of your trust being in something is to give it up, is to surrender it. And thankfully, Jesus doesn't even say we gotta give him all of it. He just asks for 10%. You see, we will love one and hate the other. Some of you, it's not money, it's your time. God wants us to give it all up. Our time, our talent, our treasure. But tonight I want to tell you, God isn't just calling you from something. He's calling you to something. And what he's calling you to is better. Do you believe that? Do you believe his way is better? Do you trust that when you go all in for him, you're not going to regret it? I love that the band's coming. And Todd, you can keep, start playing if you want. And there's an old hymn, we all know it as well, with my soul. And it says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this, glor- of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. How many of you are thankful that he died for all of your sin? Past, present, future, he died for all of it. He handled all of it, he took care of all of it. Jesus, you see, went all in for us. He went all in. You see, Jesus calls his disciples to this level knowing full well that he was gonna lead by example. Jesus will never call you to something that he wasn't willing to do for you. And he went all in for our sins so that we could go all in. We don't have to be afraid to give it all to him. We don't have to be afraid to go all in. In Matthew 16, 24 through 26, it said that Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, listen, he said you're gonna lose it anyway. So you might as well give it up. He says, but if you give it up, man, if you go all in, if you lay it down, if you leave them behind, if you give it all up, he says, when you do that, when you give up your life for my sake, you're really saving it. Because what would it benefit you if you gained the whole world, but you lost your very soul? Is there anything more valuable than your soul? 
There's nothing. Is there anything more valuable than living your life to please the one who died for you? Is there anything more valuable than using your gifts and your talents and your resources to impact eternity? You see, our church, this, we were putting some stats together, and we saw since we started our church that 610 people have given their lives to Jesus. And I told Jesus in that moment, I said, Lord, it's all worth it. It was all worth it, the sacrifice, the time, the, the, the starting, the planning, the sowing, all that stuff. God, it's all worth it because those 604 people, they represent families, they represent children, they represent generations of people that I could stand before God someday and he says, Kyle, what did you do with what I gave you? Because we're all going to stand before him. We're all going to give an account. How did you steward your life? How did you steward your talents? How did you steward your resources? And I'll go, Jesus, I went all in. Man, I wasn't perfect. But man, I tried hard and I went all in and I gave what I could and I did what I could to make a difference for your kingdom. And the one who went all in for me is gonna look at me and go, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. That's the key to life. That's the key to fulfillment is going all in for Jesus. Because whatever you have to give up tonight, whatever you gotta leave behind, Whatever you got to lay down, it will never compare to what you're going to gain and what Jesus is going to give you. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us life to the full. He gives us a life that has meaning. He gives us a life that has purpose. He gives a life that leaves a legacy. Jesus gives us what the world could never give us. So yes, he calls you to go all in. Yes, he calls you to sacrifice. But what he gives you in return can never compare to what this world would offer you. We looked at three different stories today of people who followed Jesus. Some went all in. One did not. And that rich young ruler, when Jesus said, you got to give this one last thing up. Yeah, you've done great at all this other stuff, but this one thing, it still has your heart. Are you going to be willing to lay it down? And it says immediately when Jesus asked him about that one thing, his face fell, and he walked away sad. Tonight, don't be that guy. Jesus is asking you to lay something down for some of you. You got to lay it down. Some of you, you got to leave some stuff behind. Some of you, you got to finally just give it up, surrender it, get rid of it. Trust God with your resources. Give it up to him. What do you need to do? Don't walk out of this place sad. Walk out full of life, full of purpose, full of meaning. You see, I've met plenty of people who are living with a lot of regrets, but I've never met anyone who regretted going all in for Jesus. Never. I've never met anyone who said, man, I started trusting God with my resources. I regret it. Never. I've never met anyone who said, man, I began to serve and give of my talents and God began to use me to to see people saved and to use my gifts to impact his kingdom. I regret it. Never seen it. But I've met a lot of people who sat in a room like this who heard a similar message and just wasn't willing to quite surrender yet. And I'll tell you what, I've heard their stories before. They said, man, if I only would have done it sooner, if I only would have given it up quicker. God had so much more for me. My life could have been so different. Don't be that person today. 
What do you got to lay down? Who do you need to leave behind? What do you need to give up? Tonight, I would encourage you, as Colossians 3 says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Get it off this world. Get it off this stuff. It says Christ is there. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth, because you died to this life. Your real life is hidden with Christ and God, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Man, that's the day I'm looking for. This world can't give me that, but someday, man, I'm going to get to share in the glory of God. Can you imagine? The one who spoke this universe into existence, the beauty of what he's done, that that glory, that I'm going to get to take part in that. Get your eyes on the prize. Jesus is waiting. What do you need to lay down? What do you need to leave behind? What do you need to give up? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I want to give you an opportunity tonight if you've never surrendered to Jesus. Maybe you're here and someone invited you. Maybe you don't even know how you ended up here, but tonight you're here. And Jesus is speaking to you and he's calling out to you. And he's saying, come and follow me. Yes, it will cost you. Count the cost, but what I have to give in return. Man, he can give you life and life to the full. The Bible says all of us were separated from God, but that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus and Jesus came and lived his life, died in our place, paid a debt that you owed, that I owed. And it says that anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus is willing from, to turn, to repent, to turn from their own way and turn towards Jesus to take a step of faith to follow him. It says when you do that, that he'll forgive you, that he'll cleanse you of your past, that he'll give you a new purpose, a new future. And tonight, friend, he wants to do that for you. Don't walk out of this place sad. Jesus has life to offer you. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, that he will be faithful to forgive you he welcomes you to follow him. He doesn't care about your baggage. He doesn't care about that addiction. He doesn't care about the struggle in your marriage. He says, you can bring it to me. Salvation starts the process, and my Holy Spirit will help you to become who I've created you to be, who I've called you to be. So tonight, if that's you, as a sign of surrender to the Lord, to say, Kyle, I'm not following Jesus. I'm not walking in his ways, and I need to turn from my own ways and turn towards him and surrender my life to him as a sign of surrender and you mean business tonight with the Lord, I just want you to just raise up your hand and say, Kyle, that's where I'm at. I need that tonight. Yeah, I see you two right here. Who else? Thank you. Yep, I see you, brother. Yeah, I see you, buddy. Thanks, bro. Anyone else? Don't leave this place without surrendering all. Couple more seconds. Anyone else? Yes. Yeah, see you. Would you put it up? You can put it down. Anyone else? Amen. If you believe this tonight, would you pray it with those that are praying it for the first time? Just simply repeat this after me. Just say, Dear Jesus, today I invite you in. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I turn from my way to follow you. And I believe that you're the son of God, that you died for me so I can live for you. I surrender 
all that I am to you and your will for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, the Bible says all of heaven is rejoicing tonight for those who made that decision. Can we rejoice with heaven? Come on, man. Let's give God praise for people who are giving their lives to Jesus. And let's worship the Lord together.